We're continuing where we left off. It is March 17th, 2019, and we're um, going to have our thought of the week in prayer. Dwight is going to assist. All right. Thought of the week. When comparing his Jewish heritage to what he found in Christ, Paul is willing to simply let it go. Beyond that, it is rubbish compared to what God has for him in Christ. Paul is fully seeing the plan and eternal purpose of God and fully embracing it. His Jewish resume must not compete with what God has called him to in the church. First, it cannot compare. For what was glorious has no glory now in comparison with the surpassing glory. In 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 10. Notice it has no glory now when we compare it to what we have in Christ. If you, as a former Jew, are looking back, you cannot see the glorious way forward. Paul is not saying that the Jewish heritage is rubbish or worthless at all. We must make sure we see this point. He recognizes the God of Israel and all that has happened in the past, their successes and failures. In fact, Christ came within a historical Jewish context. What Paul is saying is he sees the church, which is now God's eternal purpose. He now sees something that is so glorious that he is swept away from everything he was in Israel. He cannot be all he was in Israel and accept God's call for him in the church. Considering this, he throws off everything that would hinder him from fully appreciating the unsearchable riches in Christ. We are created in Christ and simply are no longer Jew or Gentile. That is the reality. If we are still clinging to some past identity, we have not fully accepted God's reality. And that's a thought of the week. I would just like to comment on the simple gospel. What we are talking about here is very particular to the church age and what it means to be in the church. But in any age, historically speaking, whether there were Jews or Gentiles, being saved has never been changed. It is by grace we are saved, through faith. And it is not by earning or any works that somebody can do. We have nothing to boast about. Within the church age, something fantastic happened, something wonderful happened that we experience um, to be uh, in members of the body of Christ. We partake and are indwelled with his Holy Spirit. However, the entryway is still the same, and it's still just as easy, just to lead in Jesus Christ. For the sins that he paid for completely satisfied God. The criteria here now is do we accept the gift he is freely offering us? And that is my commentary on that, and I'll continue with prayer. Does anybody have any uh, particular prayer needs they would like me to mention?
Um, same prayer request I had last week, which was uh, the Elmore family, Dwayne in particular, and um, the new baby we have as well. And then we had a loss. Anastasia? Yeah, Anastasia. And then we did have a loss in the family. Uh, the funeral was just, uh, I think it was Friday. So it was my cousin. So uh, just for those who are grieving, that should do. Mm. All right. Well, let me open up with prayer in that regard then. Dear Father in heaven, thank you for this wonderful opportunity that we have to comfortably sit back and enjoy this technology to reach across hundreds of miles um, to share your word, the work that the Spirit is doing in our souls, in our lives, and keeping us focused on the eternal purpose, not just the here and now. However, while we are here on this earth, we do struggle with many things. We are, we're not, we are not at war against any flesh or blood, but we do struggle with material things and, and health and finances. And I ask that you would relieve those uh, those pains whenever you can, relieve us of, us, of that suffering, and help us to glory, um, help us to glory as well. When something wonderful happens, let us see everything as a miracle, the birth of a baby, for example. Um, that would be something that is truly miraculous. And let us also keep in mind and in our hearts those who are grieving or struggling in some other way, whether it be the loss of family member or um, finances or anything that, that the world is throwing at us. And there's a lot. And Father, I'd like to pray and lift up the names of uh, the Elmore family, especially Dwayne. Um, and you know the uh, the struggles that they have and, and what they're going through and I ask that he would be with them at this time and be with all of us fill us with your Holy Spirit so that we can take advantage of the, um, the opportunity for the Spirit to guide us into all truth and let us be open to being transformed in our hearts as we go uh, into the unsearchable riches of Christ in Jesus name Amen Amen. Thank you, Dwight. We <clears throat> we will continue where we left off and our, our study of Second Corinthians chapter five. We're on verse nine today, and hopefully you have notes. And uh, in your notes, the verse is: "So we make it our goal to please Him, whether we at, are at home in the body or away from it." Ultimately, it is our goal to please Him. Obviously, we need to understand what pleases Him before we can do so. We need to be sure our efforts are pleasing to Him, or we will be like those our Lord commented on regarding the religious leaders of His day. Quote, These people honor me with their lips, 
but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are merely human rules. That's, unquote, Matthew 15, 8 and 9. That's where we are uh, in our, our context here. And so we're going to go over this verse. We'll look at the phrases to try to understand where we're going here. So the first phrase or word is so. And so also could be translated wherefore, therefore, or an account of, because of, you know, these are things. But I guess the question would be, of what? So what? So the first point is we are drawing a final conclusion from the context. So this is, it may not be a final conclusion, but it is a final conclusion based on two of the verses that he spoke about in the immediate context. So the point B is to conclude the two statements from the immediate context in verses 6 through 8. We have a statement ahead of us that will give us the prevailing thought. <clears throat> so verse 6 is, Therefore we are always confident and know that as long as we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. And then seven is, we live by faith, not by sight. And eight says, we are confident, I say, and would prefer to be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So verse nine comes back with, so we make it our goal to please him, whether we are at home in the body or away from it. So there's a, <clears throat> that there is the thought that this is a conclusion of those two verses, verses 6 through 8. The, 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 on the one hand, uh, I, I'm confident and know that home in the body is away from the Lord. I'm also confident and know that and prefer to be away from the body and home with the Lord. So there's that back and forth. So the so, just see the so as a concluding understanding of the two chapters. I know I'm going to expand on that a little bit as we go forward. Point number two in our, our outline here is we make it our goal to please him. So if we are reaching back to the context, and the perfect verse to pin this to is in verse five. And now, of course, it, it has to do with the immediate context, but not just the immediate. Why would we even talk about pleasing him in the first place? It is because uh, of what our calling is. And the calling is, now the one who has fashioned us, this is verse 5, the one who has fashioned us for this very purpose is God. And then later, also it says, who has given us the Spirit as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. But God, that's the calling, the one who has fashioned us for this very purpose. So since God made us for a particular purpose, it should be our goal to please him. Once we know that, that this is our destiny, this is what our lives have been marked out to be, then it is our, we make it our goal, our aim, to please him. Right? We can't please him if we don't know what it is we're supposed to be or what God called us to. So first things first, we need to have that information. 
as I said in the opening, right, we want to please him, right? It's our goal. But we need to understand what pleases him before we can do so. So, uh, now this is, uh, point B is, is this <laughs> word, I'm not going to try to say this Greek word in point B. <laughs> it is translated, our goal to please him, right? But whatever it is, you got it there <clears throat> in your notes. And I'm not going to make a fool of myself trying to trip all over these words. But that's okay, as long as we understand what it means. First of all, it's the middle voice. And what do I mean by the middle voice? That means there's three voices that this could be. There could be the, the passive, the active, or the middle. Or let's just say the passive, the middle, or the active. So the passive voice means somebody is acting upon the subject. Somebody is doing something to you. Right? The middle voice is you are acting upon yourself. Right? So you, whatever action is happening, you're the one doing it to yourself. The active voice means you are doing some action and it may have a result. Right? So three voices that a, a, it could be in. You're doing the action. You are causing the action yourself, upon yourself. That's the middle voice. You, the active is you are causing the action maybe on someone else, and that's the emphasis. Or passive, somebody else is causing the action to happen to you, whatever the verb is. So in this case, it is that word. Uh, the, so it's the middle voice, which means if we're, we're making it our goal, the motivation from that, uh, it comes from us ourselves. We can't. God's saying, uh, "I can, I can tell you what your calling is. I can show you how it works. But now, for you to please me in this, you have to bring something. You have to bring some motivation. And that's what this uh, verb is. It's in the middle voice. Uh, we don't want to have to read so much into that, but that is part of the grammar. And then you have uh, this word. Now, this word is a compound word. So, the, it's given from two other Greek words, and you have the Strong's numbers there if you wanted to look them up. So, the one word is you're familiar with, with philos. And it, phileo, you know, we have that love. You know, there's a fondness. And it's translated to be fond of. Uh, or honor, that is, right? So, and then the other part of this word, emulous, means eager or earnest to do something. So you have two words that are put together. This one where you're fond or there's this, this honor, you know, um, of, and then there is this eagerness to do something. So, some of the ways it's used, labor, strive, study, and this is all from Strong, but then we also have something from Thayer. It says, to be fond of, uh, to be fond of honor, to be actuated by love or honor, uh, from a love of strive, uh, from a love of honor to strive to bring something to pass. To be ambitious, to strive earnestly, to make it one's aim. 
And I, I, you could see where the NIV took this. We make it our goal or aim to please him. Right? This is, in other words, it's a labor. It's, it's work. We strive. But we, we do it because we love the honor of it. I spent some time looking into this. Uh, and I thought it was quite interesting. I won't go through all the details of what I found in that word. You know, the second part of it, like the earnestness of, you know, ambitious, you know, all those things that are that come up as a part of the motivation. And they what they all do is they speak to our goal on the battlefield, striving on the battlefield to please him. Right. And it could mean that we are struggling at some point, but there's something that's in us that overcomes the struggle that is in the world. So uh, just looking at that love, the honor, all those things, that word is a compound word put together. I just wanted to at least bring that to the front. And then point C, this phrase speaks of our unique motivation, which is a result of the understanding of our calling. So just putting it all together, we make it our goal or our aim to please him. It's this phrase, it speaks of our unique motivation. When I say unique, uh, no one could have had this motivation prior to this age, prior to the, the revealing of the, the secret thoughts of God, the, his heart. No one could know what the motivation was. So it's unique to us in that uh, this is for us. We are the recipients of uh, those who are being called uh, to be conformed to the image of his son. We are those who are, our lives are marked out for this destiny, for this purpose. So God didn't even reveal that this would be at all. But now it is the reality, as we were saying in the thought of the week. So this, this is important. It's a unique motivation. No, Israel didn't have this motivation. Now, Israel may have had a unique motivation from their perspective because whatever God called them to, to be, they can realize that and have motivation to fulfill their calling. But for us, this is unique because it has been hidden. It is not the same as motivation Israel had. It is a unique I'll just say motivation, which is a result. Remember, it's a result because you got to know what that motivation is. Once, first, you got to know to understand the knowledge and wisdom around it before you can develop a motivation. As a result of knowing what your calling is, knowing what God has you selected you to be here in this particular time, 2019, here, today resulting in an understanding of that calling and what do you do with it. So I gave a couple verses that may speak of this. Um, so not, uh, let's see, in Ephesians chapter 1 is the first thought. Chapter 1, verses 16 through 18. So so look at that. Let's, let's take a little little aside and take a look here. He says, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. Paul is obviously pleased with these believers. 
I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. So this is, this is to say that Paul is pleased with these believers, for sure. But he keeps on petitioning God for more for these believers because they don't have the full picture. But what they do have is the right motivation. They have the right, they're on the right path. They've come to the knowledge of the truth in terms of their salvation. But now Paul is saying, yes, they, they got that. But now I want them to come to the knowledge of the truth regarding their calling. So two things. These believers were hitting on all cylinders. They had the foundation. He's pleased with them. Although he's saying, now, now I need you to go further. <clears throat> so we, they need the spirit of wisdom and revelation. And what will that do for them? It, that they may know him better. This is important, that they come to the knowledge of the truth, right? That they allow the spirit to lead and guide them into all truth. If they don't allow that, then they are missing out on much information that is available to them, that is a part of their destiny, that is a part of their heritage. So it, it, the mind has to be transformed, not just about salvation and what God has done for them regarding redemption and reconciliation and propitiation and justification and all of that, but but about what God has done in terms of their calling, right? The election, predestination, foreknowledge, right? Their, their destiny, right? Well, who they are in Christ, the whole understanding has to be uh, known for them as well. So then he says, I, verse 18, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. So there's more for them to know. So many people have come to the knowledge of salvation, but they stopped. They just said, yeah, that's glorious. That's great. <laughs> I, I'm glad. But now let me get on with my life. Right? Let me get on with what's important with, to me. So he's saying, no, there's more for you to comprehend, more for you to understand that God has destined for your glory before time began. So here it is. Uh, that their heart may be enlightened in order that they may know the hope to which he has called you. So the hope to which he has called you has to do with the riches of his glory inheritance, glorious inheritance in uh, God's holy people or his saints. So that's, that's an expectation that is in front of you. So you could say there's a hope in salvation, right? The hope is that you get saved, right? That you have eternal life, that you are saved. That's the hope. Now, once that is realized, it's no longer a hope. It's a reality. You are saved. We don't have to hope we get saved. We don't have to hope one day at the end, God will say, welcome, come on in. You are saved. We are saved now, the moment we place our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, we have to learn about it and understand and get the assurance of it. All that's true. But it happens. You're saved. There is no, I hope I get saved. I, you either are saved or you are not. 
Uh, so here, but this is not a hope realized. It is still a hope ahead of us that we will come to the knowledge of the truth and that we will see all that God has planned for us from eternity past. And I hope people can comprehend that and understand that. Now, it still will always remain a hope until we get to the place where God has finished doing what he planned to do for us. That has reference to this hope. So th there's more. We could say that salvation, e even in some respects, is not complete, but because we haven't received our resurrection body yet. Right? That's part of the salvation package. But then there's part of this hope that it will not be complete until we get to the eternal state as well. So, but as far as our being saved, our being uh, united to the person of Christ, uh, raised, seated in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, all that, that is a reality for us, even now as we speak. Set your mind on things above, not on earthly things, for you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. So all those things are true. You have died and you are united to the person of Christ. There's not a hope you have it. So continuing with the thought, so, so it speaks of our motivation right, and, and what's before us. Right? That, all of that affects our motivation and how we serve God, right? what we understand about him. And then there's this uh, Ephesians chapter 3 that also speaks of our motivation. And I just said from verse 7 to verse 21, which is the end of the chapter, do we need to cover all these verses? I put them in here for you to read them. Because these are the verses that frame, that found your motivation, right? This is where you, you get the foundation of it. it. These are so important, these verses. But I don't know that we will have time to go through all these verses in the detail they deserve. But I'll read some of them. Verse 7, I became a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace given me through the working of his power. Although I am less than the least of all God, the Lord's people, this grace was given me to preach to the Gentiles the boundless riches of Christ. So Paul is in a place of honor here. He's telling you the, the motivation, the honor that rises up in him, the love that he has for all that God has done on his behalf, even though he was someone who was very opposing to Christ and to the people of the church, uh, the apostles early on, now he understands. And he has wholeheartedly given himself to the cause of God. So he says, verse uh, 8, although I am less than least of all Lord's people, that's what that means. Uh, this grace was given me, him, uh, who somebody who was in Judaism, bound and as a Pharisee to preach to the Gentiles and he has been made the apostle to the Gentiles the boundless unsearchable riches of Christ that is what this is said to be uh, it is interesting that God bound all these treasures and riches up in Christ who is the image of the invisible God 
So in, in Christ are found all the hidden treasures and the wisdom and the knowledge of God. He revealed all of these things through Christ. That's what we have. Uh, Christ is the visible revelation of God. And the Holy Spirit takes Christ. That's why when it says when he comes, he will not speak on his own or of his own. But whatever he testifies, he will testify about me. Then later it says in that same phrase, uh, all that the Father has, has been given to me. That is why I say he will take from what is mine and make it known to you. Very interesting the way God reveals himself in Christ. Right? All the treasures, all of wisdom and knowledge that comes from the Colossians chapter 2 passage are hidden in Christ. And we are also in Christ. So this is all bound up in Christ. I, I need you to see it that way. So, so this verse says, verse 9, And to make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery. Uh, the administration of this mystery goes back to the fact that it's a dispensation. It is a hidden dispensation. One that uh, no one ever even knew that existed because it was hidden. Which for ages past was kept hidden in God. And that a dispensation speaks of how God is ruling over this age. What is, are his objectives? Right? We, we have to follow his objective. We could say that the Mosaic Law was a dispensation. Because God now is ruling over his household in a different way. And if you look at Israel and the Mosaic Law, you can certainly say that it, it was different from what preceded it. And when you look at the church age, we could certainly say it's different from what preceded it. That would be the Mosaic Law. So what we have in this dispensation is very unique and how we need to understand how God is ruling over. And that is the objective of the apostle to go out and to make it plain to everyone. And that's the goal. His intent was that now through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in heavenly realms. So every uh, creature who is rational, who has... Uh, who has the opportunity of understanding who God is and his purpose, that is the ultimate goal. So we, as a church, should have the same marching orders, the same motivation as the apostle in making this information known to, to everyone. Now, we don't necessarily have a classroom filled with uh, principalities, powers, angels, all that. We don't have that. At least it's not in our view. But what he's saying is that angels are watching what we do. Angels see us. So not only do they see us, but they watch how we live out the calling of our lives. They're seeing how we develop the, uh, we, we have understood what God's uh, calling is. We are those sons who are being called into glory, right? This is all, it was all hidden. Now we are those sons. So taking a look at us, helps them understand God's heart as well. So that's even, you know, we don't have to say directly we're teaching angels, but indirectly we are also teaching angels. <clears throat> so 
So then it goes on. His intent was that now in the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms. According, and here are these two verses, uh, this verse brings it all together. According to his eternal purpose that he accomplished in Christ Jesus, our Lord. So there it is. All these things that we're talking about are said to be God's eternal purpose. Nobody knew what this was. It was hidden. And if it's revealed now, it is of utmost importance for us to know what God's eternal purpose is. I mean, uh, that answers so many questions for us that have not been even asked. We, we can't even know what God, we couldn't even know what, that this information was available. And now that we know it's available, we need to make sure, it, it is part of our calling to make sure that it, it is lived out and spoken, preached, uh, told in the world. This is part of our responsibility as well, as those who are the recipients of this information. It's according to his eternal purpose. In verse 12, in him and through him, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. So in Christ, we have a unique vantage point with God, right? Remember, he is the image of the invisible God. Now, if we are in Christ, we are also the image of the invisible God. So being that image, on the one hand, we interface with God. On the other hand, we interface with all rational beings. So what a unique position we have. As it says Christ is the image of the invisible God. We are in that position now with Christ, who we, we are united to him in this special relationship. So we have unique access, verse 11 uh, or 12, to the Father. And we may approach him with freedom and confidence. There is no, you know, trepidation or a fear or anything that we need to have in approaching God. Uh, approaching God. I think Hebrews says it best, uh, that we can approach the throne of grace with boldness. That's that confidence. It's not just I have a state of mind, but I my actions also could, could display confidence. I'm in the... <laughs> A disposition of confidence when I approach God. I ask, therefore, not to be discouraged because of my sufferings. This is verse 13. For you which are your glory. Paul is on the battlefield. And everything he's going through is for this purpose. And I like verse 14. For this reason I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. And now he goes into more information so that we could be properly motivated to do our jobs, to fulfill our calling, to walk worthy of the calling that we have received. So he says, I pray out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being. Why do we need this? So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, so that rooting and establishment comes from the Holy Spirit and Christ dwelling in your hearts through faith. And, and, and the knowing of it, 
this establishment of rooting so that you may have power, verse 18, together with all the Lord's people to grasp. So all of that helps you understand, to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. So the love of Christ has to do with uh, the Father's plan and how he saw Christ. So this is interesting. Uh, when I saw this phrase, even though it's translated the love of Christ, it could also be translated the love for Christ. And what we are understanding is the Father's plan. That's the whole objective here, the Father's heart, right? The mystery that has been revealed, and right now we're, we need the, the, uh, the Spirit to get into the depths of understanding so that we can see eye to eye with the Father. Right? That's the height, the depth, the width, the length, right? That we can see eye to eye with the Father's plan. And then, which is the love for Christ, meaning... Uh, what he has invested in Christ from eternity past. And then he says, and to know this love that surpasses, surpasses knowledge. So this, the, the love for Christ is the love that the Father has invested in his plan. Right? The motivation that the Father has for the plan that he has affected to be able to create all things, right? Things in heaven, things in earth, all things uh, that are created. So, so in this case, uh, what we have is the grasping of this knowledge. So we need the equipment, the motivation to, to grasp this understanding in order that we may be filled to the measure, right? And this is verse 19. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge. Now, the knowledge here is gnosis. This is not epinosis. What passes knowing would be the deep knowledge is epinosis. So this love surpasses gnosis, which is to know, that you may be filled to the measure. Now, this is interesting. We could say filled with all the fullness of God, but it doesn't say that. It says filled to the measure, in other words, the standard of all the fullness of God. It's not all the fullness of Christ, all the fullness of a man, all the fullness of, the God, of God, and that is a reference to God the Father. And so how can we be one with him in this regard? That is all the things that we just said earlier. You know, that we need in order to have that. The Holy Spirit has to lead and guide us into all truth. Well, who is he speaking of? He's speaking of all that is about Christ, the mind of Christ. Well, what does Christ say? Christ says all that he has comes from the Father. And that is why I said he will make it known to you. So, so if we go all the way back and bring that all together, what we're saying is that this love is the love that the Father has for Christ, what all that he invested in Christ. He did all this. He chose you in him before the creation of the world. He, this, is, this wisdom was destined for our glory before time began. So the Father 
had these motivations before time began. And, and it is the cause of his creation of all things. That is the absolute cause. And that is the proper motivation that we are supposed to have if we're to have the love for this like the Father has. If we're to see the fullness of this. So as I said, it, it, we're not just filled with all the fullness of God. We're filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. So the standard that we have as those who are the sons who, who are called to be conformed to the image of his son, the standard that we have is no less than the standard that he has. All the fullness of God. So that, that's astounding. As I said, as we think, we think about these verses and we, we stop and pause at each phrase, which we have done in the past but probably need to do again, would be marvelous for us to do. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than we can ask, or imagine. Why is it ask or imagine? Because some of these things are outside of the realm of human possibility. We can't comprehend uh, these things on our own, but given what we have been called to, yes, that is possible. And it goes beyond what is humanly possible, or for angels for that matter. This is something that God has reserved exclusively for us. It is immeasurably more, not just more, immeasurably more than we can ask or imagine. We, we just have to be led. Don't, we don't know where this leads. We just have to let God unfold what he has done in us. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. What a doxology to end chapter 3. And then in chapter 4, he continues, he follows that with, as a prisoner of the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. So this is how we treat each other in the body of Christ. He goes to the, I mean, he takes us to a pinnacle and then he brings us down. He, don't, don't get the big head. Don't get arrogant about what I just told you. Right? You are on the battlefield right now. Like Paul says, he's expressing that I'm a prisoner of the Lord then. I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. How do you do it? Uh, how, how is it to accomplish? Be completely humble and gentle. That's how. Be patient. Bearing with one another in love. And he goes and talks about the unity that we have. And then obviously the, the quest at this point in the church was between Jews and Gentiles, right? The, the friction that was between them. And it was causing all sorts of problems. And for people to object to the unity of the Spirit that has baptized everyone into the body of Christ. So people to object, uh, to object experientially to that on the ground is to reject the Father's plan. To reject the love that we just talked about, that the Father has for his investment 
and Christ, who create, who he's the one that created all things. That's the cause of of the creation of all things. I mean, it, it is obviously uh, an affront to your calling to not behave in a way that is in concert with the Father's eternal purpose. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. This is one body, one Spirit, one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is in all, and so forth. So those are the, the, the unifying scriptures of the body. And we need that information. I don't know. Back to our notes. We don't know, I don't even know where we are. Point D, point 2D says our understanding and implementation of our calling takes transformation. That's point D, Colossians 3, 1 through 4. Um, let's go over it. Colossians 3. So we have to understand it. Remember we said we can't please him we don't know what he wants of us, what he requires of us. We can't please him, for sure. But we want to make it our aim to please him, so we have to understand that it takes some humility for us to allow God's direction in our lives to be what he desires, not what we think. So our understanding and implementation takes transformation. Transformation is a uh, it, not just... God transforming us, it is our will involved in the transformation. Right? We have to take the knowledge of our what God has done for us and apply that or implement that, execute that. There's other ways to say it. So that's what transformation is. So Colossians 3, 1 through 4 says, um, Since then you have been raised with Christ, Set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. So this is a broad statement about us. Since, in other words, you have been. And this is, so make some, draw some conclusions since you have been raised with Christ. This is the uniqueness of our age. This has never happened before. Then here's what you should be doing. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. And set your mind on things above. And now we're given what we're not to set our minds on, not on earthly things. So, and he gives us the why of it, for you died. In other words, your life is now hidden with Christ in God. So you don't belong in, in Adam anymore. That's, your life is no longer associated with the things of this world. You ought to set your mind. It doesn't mean you don't go to work, you don't go to school, you don't function, you don't go to the grocery store, you don't uh, go, go and do all the things that you need to do on this earth. But your heart, where your heart is, where your motivation, remember your love and fondness for this goal, the aim to please him, is in the heavenly realms, right? That's where um, our heart should be. For you died, and he's given the reason why God called you, he put you in Christ, he united you to the person of Christ, he took you out of Adam, 
is now hidden with Christ in God. So verse 4, when, when Christ, who is your life, appears, that's when, when uh, you know, Christ comes, then <clears throat> you will also appear with him in glory. So this speaks of your life. And when we think about your life, we're talking about uh, the impact that you have in this world. All of us have an impact. We have something that we want to say, something that we want, want to prove. We want to make our presence known. And I always think about our life in terms of our tombstone. Right? What, do we, what is said about us? <clears throat> Here lies Doug, good husband, father, whatever they say about me. It's my life. Right here, what what was the impact or statement of my life? Here lies so and so, and this is what they have done while they were here on earth. Well, that's human a human record, but there's a divine, a heavenly record that we can make, or a statement that we can make while here in this world. First, it depends on our understanding of our calling and what our purpose of life is. Hence, goes back to the verse we read. Uh, as a prisoner of the Lord, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. So the record will be read when we get to the judgment seat of Christ. So we will be rewarded for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. Well, not bad, but whether obviously the good. And or like it says in Ephesians 6, God will reward everyone according to what he has done, whether they're slave or free. It doesn't matter those designations. God's will, your life will still be recorded as uh, pleasing to God in the end, right? When, when it's all said and done. So we all are looking at that. And this is the whole point. What is your life now? If you are dead and your life is hidden with Christ and God, you are united to the person of Christ now. You are identified with him. So then your true life can't be really seen until his is really seen. So when Christ comes out and his life is now evident, the Christ life, then your life will also be bound with his in glory. So verse 5, put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature. So sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. He goes and talks about all the things that rule Adam's life, fallen Adam's life, the nature that we have. Those things will block the motivation that you should have when you're focused on your eternal destiny. So our understanding and implementation, back to our notes, of our calling takes transformation. It takes us as well. It is God who works in you to will and to do according to his good pleasure. Right? So it is not just your uh, motivation to want to do what God wants you to do. It is God working in you, your assent uh, to his working, right? your acquiescence to his leadership, 
that is combined to create the synergy of pleasing God. It's not just uh, God saying, I'm going to transform them, and then they don't have any part in it. No, it, it, our will is at stake here. So then, let's move forward. Uh, point three, whether we are at home in the body or away from it. What's our time? And we're coming up, I'm not sure we're going to have enough time to complete this. Maybe we'll just finish it next week. I see we have a lot of points here. So we will do that, but I'll start off by just breaking into this. There were a couple points maybe. Our motivation stays the same, constant. This is, well, so let's say, so whether we, so we make it our goal to please him, whether we are at home in the body or away from it. So my first point is our motivation stays the same, constant. So the fact, once we come to the knowledge of the truth, all those things we talked about in Colossians and Ephesians, right, having that proper motivation, that continues once you leave here. If you're at home in the body, you're supposed to have it while you're in the, on the battlefield or away from it. Well, if you're away from the body, then what happens? You're then at home with the Lord. You're going to be at home whether you're in the body or you're away from it, you'll be at home with the Lord. But there is a difference. If you're away from the body, that means you're dead. That means you have died, and you no longer here in the world. And what does it mean for you? It means you are at home with the Lord in heavenly places, in the heavenly realms. That's where he is. He's in the Father's house. So you're either going to be in heaven, or you're going to be here. That's... Those that's and your motivation. That's what this is talking about. What your conscious motivation is, it stays the same. It doesn't change because now you're in heaven. It doesn't change because you're not in heaven and you're on the earth, right? So your longing to be in heaven should not affect the motivation that you have here. You should still be thinking about implementing, executing the plan of God that is before you. Like Paul says, one thing I do is, is I'm going to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. That motivation, whether you're here or you're home. If you're home, obviously you're not preaching, but you still have that conscious motivation to fulfill the Father's purpose. So uh, thinking with that in mind, um, we wanted to outline earlier these states of being home in the body or away from the Lord. So point B is, as outlined earlier, there are only two states that we can possibly exist experientially. Now, why do I say experientially? Because we can only be in one place at a time. What do I mean? I mean our consciousness. So if we have consciousness here on earth, we're not going to have consciousness in the heavenly realms and in Christ. So potentially, right, we are raised and, and seated in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So in Christ, because he's there, we have a place there because we are identified with him. Even though we are said to be away from him experientially, meaning experientially we're here. But physically, experientially, that would say physically. Spiritually speaking, positionally speaking, 
we are in heavenly places seated in Christ Jesus, right? We could say there's a seat for us in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. But we are not occupying that seat yet. That's experiential. Our consciousness is not occupying that seat experientially. However, as Colossians said, we are to start thinking in terms of heavenly things, the calling, the Father's plan, right, that he has for us, what he made of us, who we are in Christ. All those are heavenly thoughts because of who we are. So next week we'll start talking about this last phrase in more detail. We'll get into it a little bit. But notice our motivation stays the same, which means we have absolute consciousness whether we're here in the body or whether we are away, uh, home in the Lord. We have conscious existence. We will continue this thought next week and develop it a little bit. Let's bow our heads as we close. Thank you, Father. We are appreciative. We are, uh, we are thankful for the, the calling that we have received. We thank you for everyone who is here, who wants to dwell on these things, who has the motivation to want to learn about their calling and uh, fulfill it and please you in every way. Uh, it is our responsibility uh, as those who are in Christ that we might be found as those who are pleasing you and advancing the Father's plan. All of these things we ask in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.